I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, scramble at the Capitol. After a historic vote, Kevin McCarthy is out and House Republicans are looking for a new leader. We have team coverage targeting the faithful. New developments in the Ortega regime's continued push against the Catholic Church. Taking action. Analysis of a new move by the Biden administration to halt fentanyl from coming into the United States and walking together. It's the opening mass for the Synod on Synodality. We have a report from the Vatican. These stories add more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Our top story tonight, the House of Representatives is now searching for a new speaker after California Congressman Kevin McCarthy was ousted yesterday in a historic vote. Eight Republicans joined all Democrats in voting to remove him. Republicans are now scrambling to find a new leader before the government runs out of money. We have team coverage tonight, starting with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales, who has the latest. Eric. Good evening. We are just over 40 days until the current continuing resolution expires and the government could shut down. We are in uncharted territory. No House Speaker has ever been removed by a vote and no official business in the House can take place until a new Speaker is named. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. With that, Speaker McCarthy is out. I do not regret negotiating. Our government is designed to find compromise. I don't regret my efforts to build coalitions and find solutions. I was raised to solve problems, not create them. The resolution brought by Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who tells me Speaker McCarthy didn't keep his promise for an open bill process. He has this message for the next speaker. If a new speaker believes that they could restore the imperial speakership of Nancy Pelosi, I think they're going to find that there are not 218 votes on the floor of the House of Representatives for that vision. Gates and seven other Republicans, including Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee, voted McCarthy out. Congressman Burchett tells me it was a difficult decision and he was praying about it when Speaker McCarthy called. I thought we'd have a good conversation, but it was a belittling kind of thing, comment about it. And I just... That just sealed it right there with me, brother. I, I, I take that stuff serious, and I get to hear my dad speaking to me in my mind, saying God will not be mocked. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry has been named Speaker Pro Tem until a vote takes place. Democrats already have their pick. We're going to fight for Hakeem Jeffries to be the leader of the House, and he, he would be fair to everybody, um, and he would get us back on track. House members say it's time to work. We still have all the problems that we had yesterday. Spending, border, Ukraine, and eight appropriation bills that need to pass at some point so we can fund the government. Republicans tell me that they are now looking at candidates. Congressman Jim Jordan is throwing his hat into the ring. A vote is expected for the next Speaker of the House to take place Wednesday. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Uh, reacting to the speaker's ouster, President Joe Biden told reporters that he knows it's going to take some time for the House to select a new speaker. But today he also cautioned we have a lot of work to do and the American people expect us to get it done. He added when talking about funding the government that it can't come down to the 11th hour and brinkmanship. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. 
Tracy, as Republicans in Congress try to figure out a path forward for President Joe Biden, it was pretty much business as usual today. He made a formal announcement this afternoon that he's erasing more student debt. But first, he addressed what happened yesterday to former Speaker McCarthy. President Joe Biden went before the cameras in the Roosevelt Room telling reporters more than anything. We need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. You know, we have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies. And he gave credit to both parties. Twice in the last six months, both houses came together on a bipartisan basis. Once to avoid default, once to keep the government open. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump, the current Republican frontrunner for the White House in 2024, in New York for day three of his civil fraud trial. He weighed in on the job vacancy as well. Reporters asking this question. Also today, more labor unrest at Kaiser Permanente Hospitals picketing now underway as seen here in Springfield, Virginia. Some 75,000 healthcare workers on strike in multiple states over wages and staffing shortages. The walkout comes as U.S. job openings unexpectedly rose in August, showing employers are still hiring. Also in the briefing room today, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre responded to developments at the Vatican, saying President Biden enjoys a warm relationship with Pope Francis and that they share a lot of common goals, but she did not answer questions specifically about the synod now underway. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, we go now to Mene Ukwabarua, a member of the Wall Street Journal's editorial board. Mene, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I, I want to start off uh, with the op-ed that the journal published last evening. The title was, The Republicans Cut Off Their Own Heads. Talk to us more about that and how you see this all playing out for the GOP. Absolutely. So I want to back up for viewers tonight and really describe how we got to this moment. The proximate cause of Kevin McCarthy being deposed as Speaker of the House was his deal with the Democrats in the House to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open. Uh, he had been trying to work with his own conference to pass a funding bill that would have kept government agencies funded. But as they approached the deadline on Saturday night, it was clear that they weren't going to support anything. And so he had to work with Democratic House members to make sure something could get passed and that the government would stay open. Uh, and that was a line too far for Representative Matt Gates, who is the one who issued the motion to vacate the chair, uh, Matt Gates being one of the very conservative members of the House conference. And he said Kevin McCarthy had violated the trust of his members by working with Democrats, but also that he can kept his prior promises to members of his party, leaving him no choice but to depose him. But the interesting thing is that Matt Gates didn't really have a specific policy complaint with the approach that Kevin McCarthy was taking. He didn't really offer any way that the speaker could possibly have avoided having to pass this stopgap measure with the House Democrats. And so it's very clear that what you have here is certain members of the Republican House conference simply having personal gripes against Kevin McCarthy and wanting to make a show by deposing him without any plan for how they're going to move forward. Bennett, what's at stake here? I mean, and how do you see this all playing out? 
Sure. Well, I mean, as of now, as you mentioned in the introduction, Patrick McHenry, a junior member of the House Republican Conference, is speaker temporarily. Basically, he's just overseeing the process of selecting a permanent speaker. But until they have a new one, they can't really pass legislation. They can't conduct their general oversight. So the House and therefore all of Congress is essentially in something of a limbo. Uh, right now, we've had a couple of candidates throw their hats in the ring in terms of potentially becoming successors. One is Steve Scalise, who's from Louisiana, who is the number two in charge in the House Republican Conference. Um, the problem with Steve Scalise, though, is that he's undergoing treatment for blood cancer currently, and it's unclear whether he would have the stamina uh, to potentially take that top leadership position. Uh, another person who threw his hat in the ring today was Jim Jordan, uh, who chairs the House Judiciary Committee. Jim Jordan has a strong reputation among the House Conference because he is able to work with someone like Kevin McCarthy, who's more establishmentarian, but he's also known as being very conservative, uh, and so he does have credential um, with some of the more conservative members of the House. But frankly, it seems like it's an impossible position because you have these very radical members who seem to want to be able to control the speaker's every move. And so even if the House Republicans are able to coalesce around uh, next leader, that person's going to be on thin ice from the very beginning. And it makes it uncertain how, if at all, they're going to be able to govern. Yeah, we probably have about 30 seconds left or so, but I do want to get to this. Another name that's being floated out there for Speaker of the House is former President Donald Trump. What do you make of that? And for those maybe not familiar with the process, tell us how that would work. Well, frankly, it's not specified in the Constitution that the Speaker has to be a member of the House of Representatives. So theoretically, they could elect anybody. I think it's uh, natural that Donald Trump's name would be mentioned as the foremost Republican, but with all the legal troubles he's going through and his presidential race, I don't think he'd be very willing to serve. We're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Three Catholic priests have been arrested in Nicaragua. They were known to preach about the daily injustices that they face. Their current whereabouts are unknown. This is the latest crackdown on the church from the Ortega regime. At the Vatican today, the start of the nearly month-long Synod on Synodality. The Holy Father officially opened the global gathering by celebrating Mass. The Holy Father invites the faithful to walk with the Holy Spirit in trust and joy. The Synod brings together clergy and lay people from around the world for several weeks of meetings. EWTN Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has more. It started with a Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. Pope Francis asking those present to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide the participants in the upcoming Synod on Synodality. This is the primary task of the Synod, to refocus our gaze on God, to be a church that looks mercifully at humanity. This will be a month-long meeting, described as a prayerful discussion on the style, life, and mission of the Church, where cardinals, bishops, priests, nuns, and some lay people will be able to have their say. But before the private gathering kicked off, the Pope created 21 new cardinals from 15 different countries during Saturday morning's consistory. This is keeping in step with the Pope's steady geographic diversification of the College of Cardinals. 
and in preparation for the synod, there was a four-day-long retreat. So intense prayer is always necessary for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we bishops and delegates did for, uh, it was only four days, not nine, four blessed days of, of prayer and worship. While the participants were on retreat, five cardinals from five different continents released the questions they had sent Pope Francis, seeking clarifications from the Holy Father on several points of church teaching. The controversial issues included changing church teachings, blessings for same-sex couples, the authority of the synod, women's ordination, and repentance and absolution. In return, the Vatican released Pope Francis's initial response to the cardinals. All of that led up to today, the official first day of the synod. Meetings started right after the conclusion of the papal mass. Cardinal Stephen Brislin is a newly created cardinal from South Africa. Look, I think, I think one of the uh, biggest battles that we will face as, as a church and as, as people who believe in God is the fact that so many people seem to be falling away from the church. So many people are, seem to be losing their faith. And to me, one of the biggest struggles, how do we actually reach out to people? Because, I mean, we've got... We're offering life to people. During the synod process over the last two years, different issues that affect the church have been brought up for discussion. And the synod, this month and the second one in October of next year, will reflect on them and consider possible solutions. Their recommendations will ultimately be put into a final document next year and presented to the Pope for consideration. The next four weeks will be a major part of that process, one that now includes greater participants by lay people. Cardinal Stephen Chow Sayan is the Bishop of Hong Kong. I I'm, hope that voices, different voices can be heard. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm excited that the lay people, men and women, religious, okay, are represented, the full voting members. So that will make the, the, the synods a lot more richer. And uh, I, I hope that we will really learn to listen, and listen deeply. This year also sees more women than ever taking part. A total of 54 will be voting. One of them is Sister Anna Mirijam Kashner. In all the countries, the topic of the presence of women in the church is a topic. So if the elephant is in the room, we have to talk about it. But the importance that women are here and that they are vote, voting members, I think it's a very, very big sign. Critics of the Synod worry that it might cast doubt on perennial church teachings, whether directly or indirectly, and could lead to ambiguity or confusion around the church's unchanging stance on hot-button issues. During his homily of the opening Mass, Pope Francis asked for unity. A church that has God at the center, in which, therefore, is not divided on the inside and is never bitter on the outside. In Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. Uh, today, Pope Francis also released his follow-up to his 2015 papal letter on the environment, Laudato Si. In a 7,500-word exhortation called Laudato Deum, meaning praise God, the Holy Father writes that the world's response to climate change has not been adequate. He adds that the climate issue is no longer a secondary or ideological question. In 2022, the Holy See signed on to the United Nations Climate Convention and the Paris Accords. 
on climate change. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including protecting Americans. Analysis of the Justice Department's latest effort to crack down on fentanyl. And not just a metaphor, an uplifting message about the Holy Eucharist. has announced sanctions on 25 China-based companies allegedly involved in the production of fentanyl. Attorney General Merrick Garland says the drug supply chain often no, starts with chemical companies in China. The sanctions will freeze the company's U.S. assets and bar Americans from dealing with them. China opposes the measures, saying that their government has been cracking down on drug crimes. And joining us now to weigh in on this and more is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, great to be with you as always. A lot to get to. But first, I want to get your thoughts on this move by the Biden administration. Do you think it's a good strategy and do you think it will help to stop the flow of fentanyl into the U.S.? Well, I think it's the start of a good strategy. And no, it won't stop the flow of fentanyl in the U.S. We got to remember that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, and the Communist Party are firmly behind the fentanyl gangs. They support them. They support them with diplomatic uh, initiatives. Also, the Chinese state banks launder Chinese mo uh, the money proceeds from fentanyl. So until we go to the top of the chain, we're really not going to do very much. We need to go after the Communist Party, Xi Jinping, and the Chinese banks, and then we might actually get somewhere. Gordon, another thing I want to touch on is this upcoming visit of China's foreign minister. He's expected to come to D.C. later this month. What do you think will come from this visit? And do you think it will help with U.S.-China relations, which seem to be growing more tense? Yeah, when Wang Yi comes to the U.S., I'm sure that he'll have pleasant conversations with the Biden administration. But I really don't see this resulting in very much, even if it does end up in a meeting between Xi Jinping and President Biden. That would be at the APEC summit in San Francisco in November. The, the Chinese right now are extremely arrogant. Biden has appeared to be desperate for communication. That is making Xi Jinping even more difficult to deal with. So this is not going in the right direction. Biden needs to do something he doesn't want to, which is to start getting really tough with the Chinese to show them that he has changed his position on China. Until he does that, we're going to end up with more and more tension. On a different note, uh, China now has some new rules, I understand, when it comes to phone apps. And apparently Apple developers will now need to show proof of a Chinese government license before releasing their apps uh, in China. Gordon, talk to us more about this. I mean, how significant is this and what does this all signal? Well, for Apple, their compar compar uh, competitive advantage in China is that it has a lot of apps on the App Store. That's what distinguishes it from uh, commodity phones and Huawei's phones. Once you take away that competitive advantage, then Apple is just like any other phone in China, except a lot more expensive. So um, this really is an attempt to undermine Apple's position in China. And I actually think that Apple really has no long-term future in that country as long as the Communist Party is in charge. And Gordon, I'm curious, what else are you following? What's on your radar? Well, on Monday, um, an unidentified boat rammed a Philippine fishing craft at Scarborough Shoal in the South China Sea, killing three Filipino fishermen. Um, China has crossed the line, obviously, and uh, they've got a bloodlust in Beijing. 
Um, if they get away with killing three, they are going to continue. So really, this is where we write our history for this next decade. The Biden administration has tried to avoid confrontation, just like it did in 2012 at Scarborough. It didn't work. The Chinese just became more arrogant when the United States backed down. So if we back down now, I think we start a cycle towards conflict. Yeah, a lot to talk about, definitely. No shortage of news there coming out of China. Gordon, great to be with you, as always. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tracy. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, looking ahead, a preview of the new term for the U.S. Supreme Court. Plus, a bishop tells the faithful how Holy Communion can be the center of our lives. The Supreme Court began its new term this week. The justices are set to consider several cases important to the faithful, including one on so-called gender-affirming care for minors. There is also maybe a ruling on the availability of a widely used abortion drug. And joining us now is Andrea pachani Bear, EWTN legal analyst. Andrea, always so good to be with you. Uh, as the Supreme Court kicks off another term, what are some of the cases that you'll be watching? You know, Tracy, that's a great question. First, thanks for having me on. You know, the Supreme Court has only accepted 30 out of the around 80 cases that it's going to review this term. So we're just seeing kind of a little taste of what the court is looking at. I'm particularly interested in one that's going to be questioning deference that courts have been giving to executive agencies. It's called Chevron deference, and, and the court's going to look at a case that questions whether that is consistent with the Constitution, the balance of uh, powers between the three branches, and the role of the judiciary in interpreting the law and not deferring to the executive to do so for them. I also understand there are uh, several very influential petitions that could be heard by the court, one in particular uh, involving the Biden administration's appeal of a lower court ruling on MIFA Pristone. What more can you tell us about this and also the significance there? You know, yes, Tracy, that's a really important case to watch in the court's decision on whether to grant review or not. This, again, was looking at the FDA's fast track of the abortion pills, allowing for telemedicine prescriptions or even shipment through the mail. And a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said that that was just rushed to judgment and didn't con was not consistent with the kind of review that needed to be given to something of such consequence. Um, the Biden administration has appealed that and there's lots of briefing. But I do think that the Fifth Circuit reasoning was um, very, very strong and is probably going to win the day if the court decides to review the case. Yeah. And also uh, another petition I understand that's going to be taken up involves sidewalk counselors' uh, ability to offer compassionate support to women outside of abortion clinics. Can you fill us in a little bit more about this one? Yeah, Tracy, that involves a New York County's decision to kind of put a, a bubble around abortion clinics to limit the ability of sidewalk counselors, even those that are motivated by their faith, to help people that are considering um, what to do when they're facing an unexpected or a difficult pregnancy. It really is going to be a chance for the court to, to look at, um, review some of its prior precedent. This was in the days where Roe v. Wade was an untouchable um, precedent, and now we are in a position where abortion jurisprudence isn't going to cloud the court's consideration of other important rights, particularly free speech and free exercise under the First Amendment. Andrea, what else uh, is on your radar and what else should we be watching? 
You know, Tracy, I think that there are a lot of really interesting petitions that are likely to be coming before the court. In particular, I've been watching cases that have been decided by the courts of appeals involving state bans on transgender medicine for minors. Um, there have been important cases out of the Sixth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit saying that the states do have the right to regulate health and safety, and this is an appropriate exercise of their rights. But challengers and the progressive lobby gender ideology movement is not going to go down quietly, it seems. And before I let you go, I want to ask you about this. I know you have a new project coming out. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, you know, we've decided at the Conscience Project to look at different platforms for getting our message about religious freedom, conscience rights, and parental rights out. And so we've started on YouTube a vid video series for people just to be able to understand what's at stake, some of the great victories that have happened, especially at the Supreme Court, and what regular people, parents, families can do to advance and protect their religious freedom, their conscience rights, and stop the movement of progressive ideology from kind of affecting our culture, their families, and their children. And we'll be looking out for that. Andrea, thank you so much, as always, for your time and insights. Appreciate it. God bless. Thanks, Tracy. A finally United church leader from Virginia reminds the faithful that the Eucharist is not just a metaphor. In remarks this past weekend, Bishop Michael Burbage of the Diocese of Arlington says Holy Communion can be the very center of our lives, and we benefit when we open ourselves to the wonder of receiving our Lord. Bishop Burbage added that the Eucharist contains love and grace so powerful that it can overflow from our hearts into the world. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.